0: Hey, everyone, we just launched a new show called Request for Startups. In the first season, we've got a rotating lineup of tech founders and investors joining me to share their requests for startups they want to exist in the world and also share their stories of navigating the idea maze in different sectors so founders don't have to reinvent the wheel anymore. The first episode is out now. We cover better dating apps, references as a service, and we work for productivity. Listen first, then build. Video episodes of the show are on our substack. You'll find a link in the description.
1: If you consider a movie, like a tech company, you start with sort of a series A, which is this development round of like, you're gonna spend a little bit of money, whether it's on a script or an idea, or like in the case of Whiplash with Damien Chazelle, they made a short film first, some sort of smaller version before you go and spend the, Series B or Series C or private equity level money. And for the most part, we're working with these right directors that are very similar to founders and then they build a team in pre-production and then go and execute. You're trying to build a business that is a sustainable business. So in our space, that's like franchise films and then software as a service or a two sided marketplace or something. You're trying to build something that's going to last and provide value for a long time. So I found them to be very, very similar, especially in the Angel Series A level.
0: Welcome to Media Empires, where we sit down with the most influential media creators right now to learn exactly how they built their empires. Our aim is to extract the secrets of top tier podcasters, newsletter authors, and media creators who are breaking the old rules for media success. Whether you're looking to start your own empire, or simply curious about the nuts and bolts behind media businesses, you'll find valuable insights and tactics in each episode. Grab your headphones, let's dive in. Riverside is a presenting sponsor of Media Empires. It's an essential part of our tech stack. Riverside makes scaling a media business possible for us and so many podcasters and creators. It's our online recording studio, not just for the show, but across the entire podcast network. Riverside lets us record interviews with the best guests from wherever they are in the world. Our team can also cut short form clips directly from Riverside because as any listener of the show knows, you create once and then publish everywhere. Sign up for riverside.fm today by following the link in the description box and use our code mediaempires to get a 20% discount. Greg Silverman is a film exec, producer, tech investor, and CEO and founder of Stampede Ventures, an independent media company creating the next generation of blockbuster franchises. Prior to founding Stampede, Greg served as president of creative development and worldwide production at Warner Brothers, where he produced classics like The Hangover, The Dark Knight, and Crazy Rich Asians. He also was an early investor of Silicon Valley's biggest success stories, including Slack, Robinhood, and Allbirds. This conversation is a masterclass in how tech, entertainment, talent, and IP will collide in the coming years there are a lot of parallels between the forces shaping Hollywood and the VC and tech world. And I had a lot of fun teasing those out with Greg in our conversation ahead. While we recorded this conversation in early 2023, the topics remain more relevant than ever. Without further ado, here's Greg Silverman. Greg, welcome to another episode of Media Empires. Thanks for joining the podcast.
1: I'm so happy to be with you, dude. And I'm so excited that you're doing this. What a great idea.
0: Yeah, thank you, thanks for joining. Um, when, When you look back at the arc of your career, uh, multiple decades spanning d- different roles, different capacities within within film and entertainment. W- what is the thread that ties your your interests together w- when you when you look back at that arc?
1: It's a really good question. I I think it, it was always just great stories. You know, there were always things that just spoke to me about like this. God, this is so interesting. I want to know more about this. I'd love to see a two hour version of this. Um, and luckily, the things that I was interested in were sort of mass appealing. Like, uh, you know, a lot of people around the world were interested in those same stories. Um, But, you know, even something like 300, it became about the way Zack Snyder made that movie and the look and the style. But The Battle of Thermopylae was just like a fascinating story to me. And that's really where it started, you know, Frank Miller adapted it and stuff. But um, I think story, both in my film stuff and also in my tech investing, where you and I crossed over originally, I was like, oh, that's a really interesting story. And I believe that. I believe what you're telling me.
0: Yeah. And, and we'll get into the, the, the tech stuff in, in a bit. When you were in college, did you know that you were going to to get into film? Or, or tell us a little bit about that that story of how you got in and, and rose up.
1: There's a couple funny stories in that area. Because when I was a kid, my dad uh, was an entrepreneur and took a couple of companies public. And I remember the Goldman Sachs guys coming to our office and they had must have been like seven or eight, and they had a chocolate check that they presented for the amount of money they had raised, I guess, or something. Mm -hmm. And for an eight-year-old kid, like chocolate and like a check at the same time, I'm like, these guys are (laughs) superheroes. And They were really tall, and they looked good in their suits. So I decided I wanted to be a Goldman Sachs banker, and I was on that track. And I I went to Stanford, and I was studying economics and, and microeconomics and macroeconomics and econometrics and all that stuff. Towards my senior year, we decided as a family that maybe i would be better if I graduated a bit early. So I was looking into that, and I found out that I had accidentally finished the film major. Hmm. And I was really burnt on economics; I was not enjoying it at all. Um, it's funny now, coming back full circle. I'm really interested in banking and finance. I always have been, but um, what my passion was clearly was movies and television and storytelling. Yeah. And I just thought that was something you did as a hobby while you were banking at that time. All of the information was on cards in the stack and there was no like computerized system, but they sort of looked at my numbers and I'd finished the communications major. So I graduated early as a comm major and she said, you know, you can do this for a living. And I was like, oh, you you haven't seen my movies. They're terrible. She's like, no, no, (laughs) there's executives and agents and I had no idea. I thought that movies just like directors made a movie and it just came out in the theaters. And so I moved down. The other quick, funny story is I just, I didn't know anybody. And my mom was walking with someone who said, oh, my son's a producer in Hollywood and called him. And I got a meeting with him. His name was Dan Burke. Very nice man to meet with me. And I remember it was like a Wednesday or a Thursday. And he said, oh, you seem great. I'd love to give you a job in this movie we start. But if we start next week. And the only job available is craft service. And I was like, that's incredible. That's, that's what I want to do. And he was like, you want to do craft service? I was like, yeah. When I was at Stanford, I was like, I think I can do a new version of craft service that'd be really interesting and be really helpful. If he was like, okay, you start on Monday. And I got in the car and I called my friend and I was like, dude, what's craft service? <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, oh, it's serving the snacks in between catering. Why, why do you ask? And I was like, oh, I just got a job doing craft service. So that was my first gig and everyone was so nice. I mean, I don't know if that's been your experience in tech, but like, people have been so generous to me with like their time and attention and yeah, experienced so much kindness starting at that craft service table people. You ask them a question like, Hey, what do you do? I'm, "Well, oh, I'm a gaffer. Like, Oh, well, what, what's that? And they tell you, and they're excited about their job. And I just, the kindness started there and it's never really stopped.
0: Totally. Yeah. I, I have a somewhat of a similar story. How I got into tech. I was into, um, you know, my dream before getting to tech was to be a basketball coach actually i was uh i was a aspiring player and reached my natural limitations uh and i got pretty far for my age at the time um, in the coaching world where I, I i worked at img basketball academy and i worked yeah, for the, yeah men's michigan basketball team and my first job i was an intern at, at img and then i got my first job go blue. There. yeah exactly go, go, go blue exactly and then i um i i got kind of curious about tech and I just found that entrepreneurs were just, for whatever reason, I had more like a product market fit within that community. Uh, they were just more receptive to me. I had more opportunities mm-hmm. to, to make a difference. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I switched over, but that, that, that makes a lot of sense.
1: Did you like look up to like anybody, were you like studying John Madden or anybody?
0: Yeah, I, I was studying uh, this guy, Lawrence Frank, um, who is the Nets coach and now he's, uh, I believe he works for the Clippers. Um, because he was not a player or he was not an NBA player. He he was like five, seven or something. And he made it all the way to nets, nets coach. And, um, and he came in, you know, it's funny. Uh, he came into my basketball camp in New Jersey and he said, uh, he has this sign in his wall. It said, earn your way every day. And I have a sign right above, uh, this, this camera that I, I can't show you, but it says, earn your way every day. I've taken it to every place I, I've been since. So yeah, he he was among one among a few people I was looked up to.
1: Yeah. I mean, you, you were a coach for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of similarities in terms of being a venture capitalist and 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 being in tech. Speaking of, so for the audience, it's you know a lot of people are familiar with how the tech industry works in terms of either they're venture capitalists who have the money, they fund founders who bring uh, you know uh, developers and and business people together to to build a company, and that's kind of like the the chain of how it works. Why don't you give just a, a high level overview for what are the the analogs in the in the in the film world? Um, well,
1: I think it's I think it's really similar. It's funny that you bring that up because, you know, if you consider a movie like a company, a tech company and you start with like sort of a series A, which is this development round of like you're going to spend a little bit of money, whether it's on a script or an idea or like in the case of Whiplash with Damien Chazelle, they made a short film first. <clears throat> you're going to do some sort of smaller version before you go and spend the series B or series C or private equity level money in that case, sometimes are spending hundreds of millions of dollars, but you would do some sort of uh, development and the the founder in the film space was really, uh, the analog was really the director. Uh, and for us, it was writer-director. That was really our sweet spot at Warner Brothers with uh, Chris Nolan and Zack Snyder and Todd Phillips and uh, Ben Affleck. We were really happy to work with like Clint Eastwood and Steven Spielberg who directed but didn't write until I think Steven just wrote on Fablemans. But for the most part, we we're working with these writer-directors that are very similar to founders and they build a team. So they'd be like this very special costume designer. Baz Lerman, his wife and partner, is his production designer and costume designer. And it's like incredible like product person underneath the founder who was going to bring a special sauce. They would bring a team and put a team together in pre-production and then go and execute. Similarly, especially in the Warner Brothers space and what we're trying to do at Stampede Ventures, you're trying to build a business that is a sustainable business. So in our space, that's like franchise films and then, the um, you know software as a service, or uh, if you're building a you know two sided marketplace or something, you're trying to build something that's going to last um, for a long time and provide value for a long time. So, I th- I found them to be very very similar, especially in the angel series A
0: level. So when you have your producer hat on, and when you have your you know angel or series A investor hat on, you're you're doing similar things in terms of you're evaluating the talent, you're evaluating the vision, you're evaluating the story, the team. Um, and what do you think both can uh, can learn from each other?
1: I think the thing I learned in both is to not have such a firm grasp on the product, but really have a firm grasp on the people that are behind it because so much changes. You know, it's like you launch a company, it takes two or three years to get to launch. The alpha and the beta influences on that are so huge. Like the yeah. environment changes and everything it just changes. I found through my tech investing that like 80 or 90% of the companies that came through, the thing they pitched is not what they ended up making. Yeah. And so the key to me was really like, is this somebody who, the way they think about the world, the way they problem solve, the way they're going to lead, the way they storytell, do I believe in that? Because the idea is not really the thing. And it's funny, the film business, it's very much the same. You know, people say like, oh, I found a... A movie and they'll send you a link to an article in a newspaper and it's like that's the idea yeah like the take on the idea and who's going to execute it, and how they're going to execute it is so much more important and so we were really betting on people and then you get also the serialized effect i don't know how many second third and fourth time founders you were working with but once you've gone through an experience i find you could be a much better coach and ally and investor in the second third and fourth time and so We tried to get to, you know, making six, eight, ten movies with people, which we did.
0: That's really interesting. I mean, one thing that's happened recently in tech is that it's gotten easier to get a product in market. Costs have gone down, whereas it it used to be for most companies were just like, uh, you know, pitch deck and a team. Now, sometimes they, they have real traction. But I imagine in movies, it's harder to kind of like MVP or, or, or iterate, um, so to speak, to use the, the tech words like test and experiment. It's really like you're backing this team all the way or not. Is that kind of the case?
1: I think that's, a, that's the key observation, which is like there's so much less feedback yeah. in the entertainment space. You know, There's so much less chance to iterate. Um, and it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, in the television series, and maybe that's why television series have been able to last a little bit longer recently. You can play a season, and realize that someone's interested in a certain character and then play with that character. But in a movie, I mean you're out there spending two, three in the case of, you know, Avatar, probably four or five hundred million dollars working on something before anybody gives you any feedback. Yeah. Um, that's very different. And I think it's a huge disadvantage to the movie making process. Now I will say, I, I do not believe people should take all the feedback that they get in the movie making process. Like, but hearing it would be an advantage. At least having the opportunity to be aware of it.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting in the in the tech world. In the last like twenty years, the dynamics between the founders, uh, the developers, and the VCs um, have have changed a bit. In the beginning, you know. Founders had to go kind of hat in hand to Sand Hill Road and and beg for money. And then there was just, um, you know, a lot more money f- flew into the system as, as tech became better and, and capital became a little bit of a commodity, whereas what was rare was really great founders. And so founders started to develop some greater kind of reputation uh, or greater leverage. And even founders themselves started to get capital. Whereas scout programs like what we do at Village and others identified that, hey, Founders are great judges of other founders. Maybe let's give them capital to invest. If founders got even more leverage you know, now, maybe that's changing with the with the market turning. And, but you look at something like um, professional sports, and as far as I understand, like you know LeBron James or the NBA players don't really own equity in in the league, right? Or you look at you know record record deals are structured in a certain way. Um, and so I'm always interested as to like how how leverage changes as the industry changes. And um, my my belief is over time. Markets, be, and now it could be a long time, so it's it's a imprecise statement. But uh, markets become more efficient, and whoever creates the value tends to capture most of the value. I'm, I'm curious how that's changed, if at all, in in Hollywood. Maybe that dynamic dynamic between actors and directors and, and studios.
1: Man, you're I love the way you think about things because it's like you're inside of my head daily <laughs> in a business that you're you're not in, but it is exactly where where we are living. I was expecting starting about 10 years ago for the feedback loop between what the fans wanted and what they got would get tighter and tighter and tighter, but it doesn't, that never really happened. It still is a system where a creator creates something and delivers it and that thing tends to try to find an audience as opposed to filling a demand. And that was the big difference for me in terms of Entertainment and tech, which is tech. I always found like the best tech companies were solving a problem. Yeah. And entertainment's not really solving a problem. I mean, it's well, they're all solving the same problem, which is, you know, people's lives are hard. They need some levity, they need some inspiration, um, they need a moment to be connected to other humans and feel a part of the human experience. But it's not like, you're presented with the problem and then there's a movie that solves that problem and so i was expecting that loop to tighten and tighten and tighten through tech and it didn't not even through netflix and their talk of the algorithm and knowing what audiences wanted they're still you know making a lot of things and then seeing what works Yeah, that's very surprising to me i don't know if it's surprising to you from the outside yeah
0: no it is it's interesting it's like you could survey you know customers and come up with a SaaS product but you can't survey watchers and come up with 300 or or no. Yeah. It's, and some people say it's the same, like with the iPhone or something, like in that, they don't
1: know it until you show it to them. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. But like, I feel a need right now for family entertainment, but there's no hard feedback loop for that. There's no people showing up at the theater asking for a family movie on a Saturday. And then the theater's calling us and saying, guys, where's the, where the family movies, that loop doesn't, Exists, I thought for sure by twenty twenty three we would have that.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's really interesting. In the tech world, the the money eventually I guess comes from uh, endowments and family offices and um, you know, kind of institutional investors. Is, is does, does the money come from similar places in, in Hollywood?
1: Well, you know, most of the money comes from the public markets, right? So most of the money that's being spent is coming through Netflix and Disney and uh, Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount and. You know, that's where the, the main funnel of cash is coming from in terms of the money that's coming in to make things, especially at companies like ours. yeah, it's it's more private. We're at Stampede um, and other companies that are similar, I think. We are pre the stage of being uh, institutional investor friendly so you have to have more family offices venture capital high net worth individuals and then the institutionals come into play once you have ip that is generating a cash flow that's like predictable right but by that point all the funds been had
0: yeah <laughs> Yeah. When you get into Stampede, a bit so you spend a couple of years, you rise up to, to to you know president of of, of Warner Brothers, a, a couple of decades. Sorry, president of Warner Brothers. This amazing you know collection of, of of movies and work that you've you've created or been a part of making happen, and you decided to create Stampede. don't you talk about what Stampede is, maybe how it's evolved and and why you decided to do it.
1: Yes. Yeah, so once I got into the business, my dream was to run a studio. And I mean, I could never have dreamed that I would get a chance to run a place as amazing and storied and, and spectacular as Warner Brothers, but I got lucky and the stuff that I found that I pushed to get me became really popular. And they kept promoting me and eventually, you find yourself in that position. When I got into that position. It was not what I thought it was, hmm. which I think is probably a familiar story for people listening. That job, you know, when you're president of worldwide production and development, you, we were running, we were releasing 22 movies a year, but they were all on like a three-year production cycle. The animation ones on a five-year cycle. So it was like 60 or 70 movies sort of happening in different stages all at once. Yeah. You were going to a preview or a premiere or a screening to see a director every night. So you're away from your family all the time. But more importantly, the stuff where I knew I was creating value and the stuff I enjoyed was removed from the job. So what I enjoyed and where I was creating value was finding new stories, feeding talented people, stories that I felt were the right connection between them and the audience. It's an old Peter Goober thing, by the way, he told me your job is to connect the artist to the audience to the right piece of material. So I would try and find that material to make that connection, get it to the right piece of talent. There was no time to do that. The job was entirely working on the movie that was a dumpster fire at that moment. Like what was the absolute emergency? And my team and I were really good at fixing movies. And so, and it was important to fix movies. And so we were spending all of our time doing that and no time creating new value. And so I went to the CEO at the time and I'm like, I really, I don't think I'm creating as much value. I think the the team is actually good at doing what I'm doing without my leadership. And I want to go and create the new value. And they, they said to me, basically, like, what we want is you found Harry Potter. You convince us to make Lego. That's become a hit. We want you to just make more of those within that franchise. And I was like, yeah, but who's going to find the next Harry Potter and the next Lego? And that was a disconnect. And so we decided, like, I should probably start my own company to do that. And that's what Stampede is. So Stampede is built to find those next franchises. And we are finding them. And it's been incredible. I mean, the first one is really around Mo Willems. I don't know if you know the author Mo Willems, but probably the most popular kids author in the world right now. So if you have a kid between three and nine, Uh uh, you're reading his books over and over again, and he is sensational, supremely talented, and he's making an intense, deep, real connection, both with the kids and what he calls former kids. The parents that are reading those books and learning at the same time with the kids, and he really values kids' emotions. It's a spectacular human, and the work is incredible, and people really have a deep connection to it. There was no real media around it, so we become his partner in making the media. We made a first show at HBO Max that won a couple, or got nominated for a couple of Emmys. The second one should win a couple of Emmys. Uh, that's up there, and we have a few more shows coming from him now. That's sort of the first franchise, and then the next, the movies are starting to come out this year. We'll release three movies this year, hopefully four or five next year, and we're doing some international television. But the idea is to create new things that people can see and have some ownership in. And what I mean by that is like, hey, I saw this movie. I know you probably haven't heard of it because it's not based on a toy or a video game or it's a sequel, but it's really cool, and I think you'd like it, and go see it. That's how Star Wars – became popular. That's how Back to the Future became popular. Even the last few green lights of mine at Warner's, Crazy Rich Asians, Stars Born, and The Joker, Joker based on a comic book, of course. But those were movies that people were going out telling their friends, you got to go see this movie. So that's what Stampede's built to do. And to be honest, the big question is, are we solving a problem? The audience seems pretty happy with this nostalgia factor of things that were around from 30 years ago and sequels and remakes and toys and video games, I believe that people are going to want to find our movies and make them their own. But that's yeah. that's the question mark.
0: Is it fair to say that like the big studios are kind of like the Tiger Globals or the Andreessen and Horowitz, these kind of mega firms doing lots of things and you're more of like the craftsman seed fund, the first round or you know the, the elite kind of a bit earlier stage, a bit smaller, but offering more hands-on support. Is that a fair analogy or how should I think about it?
1: We started there, but we're, we're more full stack now because cool. we've just been raising more and more money because we believe the industry, the community is not going to pull our product to them. They're going to have to see it completed. And that actually happened with Mo was the first place. So we took this number one kid's author around to all the networks to pitch the show he wanted to do and they didn't, everyone passed. We made the show and then we showed it to everybody and everybody had to have it. And there was this huge auction process and we ended up with HBO Max. And that was a real indicator to us of like, we've got to get these things further along. We can't be seed angel series A. We can't even really be series B in the movie parlance. We've got to be series C, series D. And so we've been raising capital to be able to do that. And now we are green lighting movies. And what we'll do is we'll green light movies. We may sell some rights to green light them, but we'll hold many of them so that we can show the finished movie And we'll get a much higher price for the material. We'll be able to own it. We'll do license deals instead of sales. So we'll own the IP. But for the studios, they get to actually see what we're talking about as opposed to having to take
0: the leap. Yeah. So you're raising like venture money from either venture capitalists or family offices or otherwise institutions?
1: Yeah. We just sort of did a little extension on our Series B to get a little bit more money. But the Series B brought in larger checks for yeah. funding film. We did a little extension on that. And we'll probably, like, we were going to do a Series C in the spring or summer of this year because, you know, we're cash flow positive and all these things are happening. Yeah. It just feels like the timing isn't right for that. So it's probably, you know, a year later, you push that out a year or so. But that Series C then hopefully gives us the chance to just do more of what we're doing now, which is fully get behind and remove the risk for the studios from original IP so they can bring it to market in a situation that they are comfortable with. They're happy to give us more upside, which is great for us. And then that gives us the chance to create the next Harry Potter or Hangover
0: or yeah. whatever. And so so is the pitch similar to what I imagine like games companies or game studios pitches, which is, Hey, we're, we're in a hits driven business and we're going to make the next big hit. A hundred
1: percent. And yeah. You know, the stats that I like are, we used to have partners in us at Warner's and made 125 movies, most of them with partners and no partner ever lost money investing in Warner Bros. But they all invested across numerous movies. So you do need to have a portfolio effect in my opinion, because we don't know, we're lighting every movie yeah. when we're at the studio thinking that's a hit and they aren't. Yep. So clearly they don't know. We don't know. I don't know. but. If you look at people across like 10 movies, three to four of my 10 turned out to be like massive hits. And so in our model, we run that at one out of 10, making sure that if we have one out of 10, that is a hit, it is a big thing. And now you're talking, sounds like a VC.
0: Yep, exactly. Right? Yeah. We
1: think we'll have more than one. We're pretty confident. We've yep. already had, like we're so far, we are two for three. We're pretty confident, but we run it at one out of 10.
0: Totally, and and help us understand when when you have a hit. Where is most of the money made from that? Like, or what are the what are the different like even rough pie charts of like where the money comes in?
1: It's a really good question because it's very different now than it was when I started the company five years ago, Hmm. four four and a half years ago. Because theatrical was such was the most important driver, and all the multiples were figured off of theatrical. But people aren't always doing theatrical, so we're always striving to find a theatrical moment for a reason i can discuss in a second which is about cultural impact but in terms of your question the money now comes from everywhere theatrical and then first window second window from the streamers and then the type of things that we're making if you make a hit you generate revenue forever toys uh ancillaries live events merchant uh you know consumer products apparel uh, liquor. like There's amazing things that spin off of these franchises. I mean, the hangover was cr- crazy in terms of slot machine revenue in the United States was a huge <laughs> line item just because that was a good branding on the slot machine. So that's the main thing is that hits generate so much cash from everywhere.
0: Totally. And, and so when you say develop a moat is that you are talking about this idea that well i guess one uh, if it's a franchise you do you know a number of episodes that are kind of guaranteed or a number of movies that are guaranteed to you know do well is, is that the idea and then also all these ways you can monetize or what's the mo- The
1: only moat is owning the ip yeah it, it, i believe i mean distribution's a commodity capital is capital so there's like a cost to it different costs for different people and different risk structures. but it's capital the best example in the last few years is knives out yeah. So they took the risk. They owned that IP, Ron Berkman, Ryan Johnson, and Daniel Craig, distributed theatrically through Lionsgate with the help of MRC, I believe. But they own the IP. Now, if anybody wants to do a knives out thing, which I think they're now calling the Benoit Blanc world or whatever, they have to go to those guys. And they own that. So they get to do two and three and hopefully four and five. And maybe they'll do a theater experience and a video game and you know, um, my friend Basil Iwanic did the uh, Keanu. Um, I'm blanking on the name of it. That's terrible. I'm getting old. Um, John Wick. There's video games and there's other things that come from that, from owning that IP with the creators, and that's that's a huge part of our model.
0: Yeah. One thing we haven't talked about is is that um, the agency sort of a- approach in Hollywood and whether that that would work in in startups, whether it's on the on the founder side or on the uh, kind of developer side. And for, for some reason it, it hasn't really taken off in the same way that, that it would in, in Hollywood where, um, either maybe it's because on the developer side, there are no like, um, you know, George Clooney's or, or whatever, like Tom Cruise, like mega, either mega stars or, or they don't, it's hard to identify who they are. And on the founder side, they feel like they, they don't need it or something, but any, any ideas why the, like that analog hasn't transferred over to the tech world?
1: Yeah, I've actually thought about this because there are really only, you know, seven gates to distribution in Hollywood. And so those meetings are hard to get. And every once in a while you can get a STX or Alliance gate or someone like starting up a studio um, and there's more meetings, but the meetings, which is the thing the agent can facilitate. is like being an advocate to get you the chance to pitch your story. It yeah. doesn't seem to be a problem in Silicon Valley now. Getting to pitch the exact VC firm you want to pitch might be hard. Yeah, but that's how other VCs make their bones. Is like, okay, we're going to hear the thousand things and sift through the straw because Andreessen, you know, already has. They're getting the first pick or Sequoia, whoever it is. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden, there's somebody else who got the better deal first, and so I think there's more buyer side competition. I guess is what I would say.
0: Yeah, that, that makes sense. You mentioned the theater has, has cultural impact. T- t- talk a bit about, about that and what that means for you.
1: This has been, like This is the huge struggle for me, which is there's something that I know, and it may not matter that I know it, which is that the only way to really have cultural impact in the film side is through theatrical exhibition. There's something about going to the movie theater, experiencing it with other people. Now, separately take a little side road here, I think for civilization, it's actually really important. And it's a little bit of a, what do you call it? Stump speech for me, but like, I think there's a critical connection being lost when we sit with people of different races, creeds, religions, political beliefs, sexual orientations, and we laugh at the same joke, or we get scared by the same thing, or we have our hopes set on, you know, Top Gun Maverick dropping the bomb at the right moment together and we look around the theater and go, like, oh my God, maybe we're not that different. Mm-hmm. Maybe we're actually more connected. So there's like a important social thing that I think we've lost that I it's very important to me. But on a business sense, if you think about Crazy Rich Asians, Star is Born and Joker, how everyone we know knows those references, can talk about those, can contextualize those, have some sort of connection to them. That was five years ago. Those were my last sort of releases that I was really involved in and how many movies have come out on streamers since then and how few have that much resonance.
0: Yeah, makes sense. We, we've compared and contrasted kind of the, the studio and the VC mo- models um, and, and the respective industries. I'm curious to do something similar with the, with the music industry and, and how rec- record labels work. How, how would you contrast some of the major differences between the, the labels and, and, and the studios or even just the industry dynamics?
1: You know, it's a very fair question, but I don't know that much about the music business. My answer is just so much softer because I just feel like music is so important to film intelligence. That's what I'm focused on. But, um, you know, you should ask my friend Troy Carter. He knows everything (laughs) about music. He's the smartest person I've been around and, uh, is so smart in the music space. So when I have a question, I go to him,
0: but I I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm going to have him on at, 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 at some point. Um, when you talk I'll tell this, you so, this. Well, to, this as
1: sure. an observation, which is again, owning the IP is important. Yeah. Like if you can have have a hit song that you own and it keeps getting used over and over again, there's real value.
0: Yeah, totally. When you're looking for the next franchise, what's something non-obvious that you're that you're really looking for that says, oh, you know, this one will have the quite the mass appeal in a durable way that we're we're looking for. Versus, hey, I really like this one, but I just don't know if it if it's got the got the mass appeal
1: so there's something that we realize that it's really dispiriting and important is there needs to be resistance Hmm. that's really interesting and it's so hard to buy into what we've all bought into it here at Stampede which is there has to be real massive resistance from the institutional parts of our business about the idea or the person involved and you have to match that with something that you really believe is going to be successful and these people are dealing with it every day like they're trying to find hits so they're they're turning it down because they think it's bad or not worthy and you have to believe that it's so good that you want to spend your life and risk your whole company making it and for us we've realized if there isn't that dissonance then um you're not going to get this special what we feel is probably the most important aspect for an original film to have success which is uniqueness (laughs) So it has to be difficult for it to get through the process to get to the screen. And if it gets through, if we're able to push it through through our efforts and our partnerships and our capital, and it gets the screen, and it was super, super hard, it's really unlikely that something else like it is also going to be out there because those things would have been batted down by the system. And then you have a chance. You may end up with Star Wars and Star Trek, but you're not going to end up with 50 of them because both of those face the same pressure from the system of like, this is stupid, uh, no one wants this stuff, you know, so that's one and then looking for that in other areas. So like Mo in his first book had some people that didn't believe necessarily that he was onto something he pushed through and made it so when he came out, he was unique. But if you look at other areas, so like in publishing, if someone really pushed for something, and it came through, maybe there's something there. Those are some test areas for us, but man, that's a hard finding. To internalize and to deal with on a daily basis that rejection is a positive sign.
0: Yeah, fascinating. That is, um, it's really interesting because in in venture too, uh, I think you know Andreessen and some other firms will say that when we have you know conflict in our deal meetings, that's when we give people the most permission to make investments. Uh, whereas if everyone agrees then it's through consensus, it has to be you know there has to be something contrarian uh, uh, about what, what they're doing.
1: Yeah, what is the uh, Peter? to your question of like, what is the one thing that you believe that nobody else believes? Yeah.
0: yes, exactly.
1: And, you know, like we believe that this movie that we have about unicorns is something that audiences really, really, really want. And yeah. um, we've got a lot of pushback.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I can <laughs> imagine.
1: The people involved are really talented. Uh, I know the movie will work. The script's excellent. And we have the capital to back it, so we'll back it. So yeah. I guess let's check in in eighteen months and see <laughs> if the unicorn will be works. Yeah.
0: Excellent. I, I I will put that in my calendar. Uh, well, I look forward to it. Z- zooming out a little bit, I w- I want to talk about how how technology has changed the the industry a bit. Um, we'll we'll talk about going forward technology, but maybe even just like the last decade. My my very amateur outsider reading is that the impact that Netflix had. Like let's let's say in the music industry, like Spotify, you know, was at at the beck and call of the labels because labels have the catalogs and so they have all the leverage, where and so Spotify tried to get into podcasting and other stuff. Whereas Netflix was in a similar situation, but then just competed head on and and tried to make content. And that forced Disney and, and other players to kind of like reverse compete, which is, hey, you know, if you're trying to make content, we're gonna try to make our own distribution services too. And then we've seen the battle play out and still maybe too early to tell, like who is the most leverage, or or who's winning what want to get your much more insider read on like what's really happened. How is, how has the industry changed um, because of Netflix and other just technological advancements the last decade
1: in, in terms of, uh, Netflix, they, to me, it's like a a product innovation. People talk about the tech companies coming in and they do, they did some tremendous things and people in LA don't understand that there's like 400 engineers and the, the product is exceptional. I mean, you can turn on your phone, and it has the same place as your home and your iPad, and it remembers where you were and who your family members were, and the instant streaming turns on. Like all these things that are like really, really hard to do, but I don't know that it was a technological advance. It was time towards a technological advance of like broadband increasing, and more people being able to access, and that you know streaming became a thing, and they were ready for it, and they had then the. You know, really, their capital raising and capital spending was really smart. And they had Cindy Holland, who was proper genius and taste, and Ted cornering the comedy market, I thought was really, really smart. So they're doing all these like really smart things, but that to me wasn't like a technological advance. The thing that's fascinating me is what is AI's involvement going to be in content creation? Yeah. That is the real change that i think we are going to be dealing with over the next few years and it's another reason why i am driven towards ip ownership as opposed to fee-based producing because we're making a movie called space cadet uh it'll come out this summer with emma roberts it's uh it's really great a florida party girl who actually is really really smart and just got on the wrong track ends up going to nasa astronaut candidate school um it's a great movie written and directed by Liz Garcia. AI like can play around with our IP. We own that IP. Liz wrote the script, we made it, we funded it. So if AI wanted to do a version of it that was scary instead of funny, or more dramatic, or someone wanted a four hour version instead of the 90 minute version we're gonna release, um, that's kind of interesting. I see that seven to ten years from now. They can't monetize that without a permission. Hmm. Yeah. So that's why we really looked at like, okay, we've got to make sure that we own this IP that AI might be playing with and then see what happens. But I I believe it's gonna become a part of every aspect of our lives and certainly every aspect of filmmaking. The big surprise, right, for everybody is that art is really going first. Yeah. Art is the first thing getting disrupted by AI, and I think people thought it would be the last.
0: Right. It's so ironic. People thought the art, artistic fields and the and the caring fields would be last, and yet we have AI art and AI companionship. I mean, it's, it's fascinating.
1: You know, and so it's I'm scary. an optim- I'm an optimist, and in our lifetime, Eric have lived through technology really making people's lives better. If you look at yeah. our parents and grandparents, they didn't necessarily have that experience with people building more and more frightening war machines. Yeah. through technology. But you know, post World War II and into the seventies, eighties, and nineties, people were really obsessed with capitalism and lifestyle and like making people's lives better and getting paid for it. So the smart people got into making people's lives more fun and easy and we get iPhones and all that stuff. I'm hopeful that it sort of trends that way, which is people start paying for things that make their lives better. Engineers and founders are encouraged to create things with AI that makes people's lives better. But it's going to get more and more impressive. I mean, this is sort of the hard thing for me that I I don't think people in Hollywood understand, but everyone in Silicon Valley understands. It doesn't, the functionality doesn't degrade. It only increases. Right. And that's not our experience in Hollywood because we have to restart every time. We don't get to just take the movie and then just like, do version 2.0 and version 3.0. Right. They're like minor adjustments. GPT-4, what I've heard is 2,500 times the uh, efficiency. I can't even comprehend what that means.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, how do you expect to be using it? Is it going to tell you what the story should be? Is it going to, you know, like simulate scenarios?
1: I mean, what I, what I'm seeing right now is sort of a, a best first draft maker.
0: Yeah. I think it's right.
1: But I, I think it's naive to think it's going to stop there. Yeah. I was really impressed. GPT-3, we were playing around with it. A colleague was leaving for a new job. And so we had it write a sentimental description of their (laughs) last day. And it did a really good job writing a sentimental version of their last day. And then we asked it to make it funnier. And it added a joke that was a great joke. That really took my breath away. Like, sense of humor is a hard thing for a computer to do. And it nailed it. Um, And like I said, it's just going to get better and better and better. So it's not that I'm selfish. I am selfish, but it's not that I'm thinking selfishly. I have like a whole staff of the company and investors. I have to think about what that means for our company and how we're going to use it as an advantage. And I think it is around having AI create more value around things that you own. That's where our
0: head is. That's fascinating. You know, we had a back and forth the other day about NFTs. Um, What about uh, just NFTs or or Web3 crypto stuff in in general? How how do you see that playing a role in the future?
1: I'm really bullish on Web3 and NFTs and crypto because it is probably the least popular thing in the world right now. Yep. But I know that it's real. I know that a, you know, decentralized ledger is a real technological advancement, something you can count on. One of the things I was thinking about last week, and you and I were back and forth about the NFT thing is I actually think that there may be a way to use a distributed ledger to annotate what is being made by a human and what is being made by AI. And so like, there can be like these Tornberg coins that you Give out only with something that you've generated yourself originally. That differentiates any tweet or podcast or anything that might be accelerated by AI. Technologies are going to play and dance with each other too.
0: Yeah, F- fascinating. Let, let's talk about your your tech investing. Maybe cl- close your gear towards closing here. You've you've invested in Slack, Ro- Robinhood, a, a number of other um, you know companies have gone on to do really well. Um, t- talk a bit more about your your, your practice. Um, you know, how you got into it and and where you see yourself most interested uh, in investing going forward.
1: Well, I'll start at the end, which is I am head down on Stampede. People have given me a significant amount of money and I am firmly focused on making sure Stampede works. Stampede has, well, and it's the truth. Like I feel the weight of it. I don't know if other founders do as well. Like it is a very real pressure to me to return with a massive profit my investors' money. So I think about it every day and I try not to make it cripple the uh, energetic and brave choices you have to make, but I take it really, really seriously. We as a company have made a couple investments. We thought overplay was an interesting idea, which you know can help people make casual games through a video. And we invested in our sister company, EST Media, which is Jason Ma's company. But that's really it over the last five years. So my investing was before, and I wanted to start this company. I wanted to learn, so I told my wife I was going to take a chunk of money, and it probably was going to disappear. And she's amazing, and she was like, well, you never paid for grad school, so we'll pretend that's paying for grad school. <laughs> Cut to, I think it's like 3x return already, which is not planned, but was great. And What I would do is I would spend an hour a week uh, meeting with a founder that someone I knew was doing around. and. I'd meet with them and either say like, it was really great to meet you, give me a buzz if I can be helpful. Or as I was walking out, I would write them a check at the desk, no lawyers, no negotiating. I would just go in the coattails of smarter people who do deal stuff. So I did Robinhood, I did Allbirds, I did Q. There's a great company called VidMob, which is still private, but those are the ones that have gone public and so many more. So I did an hour a week, for four years, so it's about two hundred companies, and I invested in forty-five. Three um, have failed of the forty-five, and four or five have gone public, and the others are coming along and doing well. And I've made great friends and seen people do amazing things. The whole thing's been a blessing. I loved doing it. It was very similar. It, it really was my my day job.
0: Yeah. No, that's uh, that's awesome.
1: I mean, I had no idea what Baiju was talking about. When he was talking about ramen Hood, <laughs> but he was so inspiring and energetic and smart. And that was like a really easy check to write. I'm thank God I did.
0: Yeah. No, it was such a inspiring company. One thing I forgot to ask you was was short form video It seems to be going more and more that way in terms, you know, sort of the platforms TikTok and, and YouTube, and we saw the Quibi experiment, and maybe maybe it was the right idea but wrong timing or implementation. You know, those the, you know kudos to them for trying. What's your t- take on short form video, and does it inform how you th- how does it inform what you think about it Stampede, if at all?
1: I have four boys, and they're not huge media consumers. They're, you know, outside exercising and they read books and they do cool stuff when they are consuming, they are playing video games yep. and they are watching, um, short form. The older ones now are very into movies, the two, two older boys, but growing up like short form was just much more satisfying. And YouTube is probably the most important media company yeah. out there right now. And like how much wealth they're creating for themselves and for creators is really staggering.
0: Yeah, it's really, um, it's really impressive. I mean, do you see a lot of overlap between kind of the uh, the actor world and the YouTube star world? Like, are you collaborating with more and more people with big YouTube audiences, or how do you see that playing out?
1: Not really. I mean, the distributors are very concerned with how much, how many social, how many followers people have, and I understand that. I think it's been harder and harder to break through with marketing, so they count on the stars to support the movies themselves. Um, so I understand that, but we don't really focus on that. We're trying to make a great product that someone's going to fall in love with. And so focusing on, in reverse of like building it for awareness tends to counteract that sometimes, but it's nice when you find someone who's exactly right for the movie. Like, um, like Emma Roberts, who has a huge social following and that gets the distributors excited. That's great. But we picked her because she was perfect for the movie.
0: Right. But, but, but it's not like people are people don't see Mr. Beast or whoever and say, wow, just because they're doing well on YouTube means that they'll crush it in this, in this film. It's just like a different art?
1: I think so, but I think people are doing that and succeeding yeah. by taking YouTube stars. The thing I'm really focused on in my whole career and what I love and what I'm interested in is just making connection to the audience. And the connection people like Mr. Beast are making are very real and very intense and really beautiful. That's what I'm after. So when I look at that stuff, I'm like, wow! Like he can get people to order hamburgers to their houses based on his branding. Like that's a real connection.
0: Yeah, connecting with the audience is a great, great place to end. For for people who want to learn more about Stampede and, and see what you've created and what you're up to, where, where can you point them or any any upcoming plugs that you should check out?
1: Make sure you listen to the next episode of Tornberg's podcast. That's my main plug. Yes. Thank you. Um, No, we will have movies coming out. Please buy, if you don't know Mo Willem's books, go to a bookstore, read them with a kid, read them for yourself. You will have the best, best time. And we have a show on the air in Israel called Hungry for Love. We're releasing Space Cadet this year. We have a Morgan Neville documentary called Curveball coming out and Ordinary Angels from Lionsgate coming out in the fall. We start Gold Diggers shooting in Australia in a couple months and uh, and more that I'm probably forgetting. I apologize to my wonderful creator partners. But hopefully when you see the Stampede Ventures name, you know that you're gonna see something that had a lot of love put into it by a lot of people yeah. and is worth your time and hopefully be something that you will love and wanna tell other people about. That's the goal.
0: Yeah, Greg, this is a fascinating insight into how the industry works and exactly what we wanna do here at Media Empires. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, dude. How
0: fun. Riverside is a presenting sponsor of Media Empires. It's an essential part of our tech stack. Riverside makes scaling a media business possible for us and so many podcasters and creators. It's our online recording studio, not just for the show, but across the entire podcast network. Riverside lets us record interviews with the best guests from wherever they are in the world. Our team can also cut short form clips directly from Riverside. Because as any listener of the show knows, you create once and then publish everywhere. Sign up for Riverside.fm today by following the link in the description box and use our code MEDIAEMPIRES to get a 20% discount. Turpentine is a network of podcasts, newsletters, and more covering tech, business, and culture, all from the perspective of industry insiders and experts. We're the network behind the show you're listening to right now. At Turpentine, we're building the first media outlet for tech people by tech people. We have a slate of hit shows across a range of topics and industries, from AI with Cognitive Revolution Econ 102 with Noah Smith. Our other shows drive the conversation in tech with the most interesting thinkers, founders, and investors like Moment of Zen and my show Upstream. We're looking for industry-leading hosts and shows along with sponsors. If you think that might be you or your company, email me at eric at turpentine.co. That's E-R-I-K at turpentine.co.